So our first reading is from Proverbs chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you'll groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you'll say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? Should uh, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline they will die, led astray by their own great folly. And the second reading is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise to the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. Likewise, uh, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come again, so that uh, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this this gift, another has that. Thanks, Daniel. Hi everyone, it's good to be with you, and uh, if you're here for the first time today, welcome, we trust you have a good time, uh, as we have fellowship together, as we hear from God's Word, and continue our series on relationships. Um, so, as you can uh, see from those readings, we're talking on a topic that traditionally in church never gets spoken about, uh, but I don't, I don't think that's helpful and I don't have any inhibitions in talking about sex in church from the first time I gave this talk. I thought we needed the aircon, so I asked you to put that on for us. So, 
The first time I gave this talk eight years ago, the first version of it, um, I learned, well, I can talk about anything now because my senior pastor introduced the talk and said, so today we continue our series in relationships and sometimes we do embarrassing things and he talked about how, you know, you can, you can give talks and, and, and have this fear that you, you, you're just in your underwear or you, you, you do all this, he went on this massive list of embarrassing things to do and then he said, imagine giving, giving a talk on sex and your parents are like five metres away and then he says, so everyone, Mike's going to talk about sex today and everyone turn around and wave at his parents and say hello to them. And my mum waves back and says, I'm looking forward to it. And, I, and it was really embarrassing and awkward. So now I have no inhibitions uh, in, in, in talking with you about it. And the reality is that's helpful for us. Uh, but it does mean, though, for some of us, it's really jarring, particularly if we're, we've come from an era in 50s to now, the world has changed so drastically, it's bizarre. And so it's good for us to understand uh, what God has to say about sex and to think about it in the context of the world. And so we're not going to just uh, sugarcoat it. Now, before we actually get into the talk, if you haven't been here each week, what we've been doing is we've been thinking about how we've got to this place in the world. And there's five things that have shaped our world that we've looked at. Uh, so a quick recap on that, and then we're going to see if we can pick one that we're gonna, uh, from the pictures that have got on the screen. What were the five things that we've been talking about? Yell them out if you can remember any of them if you've been here previous weeks. Just yell out one. Gnosticism. That is this fancy word here. Gnosticism is not here. How did that happen? There it is. Gnosticism is the fancy word that you may never heard of before, but it's actually a, a view that in the Bible was actually uh, the idea that this stuff doesn't matter. It's almost kind of wicked. What really matters is your spiritual inner self. And so this stuff is not important. Your physical body isn't important. And that's had a big impact on our society. What other ones? Individualism. Individualism. Radical individualism, which has heaps to say about today. Radical individualism is another big one where we say, I can do whatever I want and I can, it doesn't matter what I do. Last week, the song, if I'm causing no harm, why should it bother you? I can do whatever I want. It's completely fine. That's shaped our society in a massive way. What are the other three? Relativism. Excellent. Relativism is, you know what, that's good for you, but it's not true for me. But that can be true for you, and this can be true for me. And they're two opposite things. Like, uh, I think Jesus is God, and you think Jesus is not God, but they're both true. We live in a society where that kind of whack thinking is in play. Okay, oh, I've given away that one, which obviously that one's going to be talked about today, right? Sexual revolution. And the last one, which really summarizes all of them, where are we at in society? Post-Christendom. These things are shaped where we're at, and we need to get that in our framework, in our head. So there they are there. What Those three things on the left, I think, point to one of them. What do they have in common, and which one do you want to have a crack at saying that they point to? Yeah. Uh, 3.9 million is not abortion, but the, the other is the pill. 3.9 million is a number. Um, it's actually a dollar number. You may have heard, and that's a picture. I'll give it away because I've got a picture there. That is Hugh Hefner at the beginning of his TV show in the 50s. A TV show in the 50s. Um, 
his party house or playhouse or something, it was called. You got the pill, you got Hugh Hefner and $3.9 million. What's the $3.9 million? Well, there was someone who recently sold their virginity for $3.9 million to an Arab, uh, Arab uh, Saudi uh, person, mining guy who, uh, who paid for it. And that's really interesting to think about because, as I'll mention later, that has been praised as a good thing to do. So, we've got these three things. Which one now do you reckon they point to very obviously? The sexual revolution. We've had a sexual revolution, a massive change in society that even I, who I'm, you know, 40 years old, happened before me. And so anyone younger than me, you're living after a revolution that's happened in society that has changed everything. We have what we have now, whereas in times gone by, if anyone watched Dr. Blake Mysteries, has anyone watched that? Is it just me? No one. Yeah, Dr. Blake, it's fantastic. It's set in the 50s. And this couple's getting getting uh, uh, getting married, and so they're moving the house around. They're moving the house around so that they can have a, a bedroom to share, and they're really embarrassed about telling people that they're doing that. It's really awkward. And now we're where we are. How different is that? So we've got this revolution. How did we get to this revolution? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Hugh Hefner and what he did. See, in the 50s, we had this TV show. We had this TV show and Hugh had a mission. I don't know if you actually know what his mission because he's just died recently, if you heard. And if you heard he died and heard the praise that he was given, it's unbelievable. So many people praised him. His mission was to make it possible for men to sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want. That was his goal. His stated goal. But in the 50s, you can't be blatant about that. So what do you do? Well, you dress up classy like that and you, you get your friends around and, and you, you make, have this TV show and you welcome people on in. There he, he welcomes people in, come on into our bachelor pad and there's all these classy looking people with uh, beautiful girls talking about life and things that are going on and, and talking about sex as well. At the same time in the 50s, a new classy magazine came out called Playboy. And in this play, in this magazine, you, you, uh, you got to see beautiful women, but we wouldn't even bat an eyelid at the pictures today. He's welcoming people in, they talk about everything that's going on in life, and then came the sexual revolution, where everyone said, it's just all about pleasure, do what you want, have fun, and all of that that goes into that. Intellectuals were saying, get rid of the putty, the putty, the fuddy duddy past, and just enjoy yourself. If it's good for you, you enjoy it, great. Contraception came on board, and you mix all these things together, and Hugh was the right person at the right time for the world. Playboy sales went through the roof. His business was flying, and then all of a sudden it went and plummeted. The sales went down. Everyone thought, Hugh's time's over. But what was Hugh doing behind the scenes and in the background? He was investing like no one's business in the porn industry, in making movies and setting up and creating what he really wanted to have happen. He made millions and his reality became true. His legacy, we are living. He said, 
We don't need a revolution. We had that in the 60s and the 70s. We are living it now. We've achieved our goal. Men, and then he says, and now women, which he has the audacity to say if you do any research into how he treated women, can pursue lifetime pleasure without responsibility or attachment. Mission accomplished. The world is now messed up because of it, and we've got to think these things through. Sex needs to be put in its right place. And we need to come to God and hear what God has to say about sex. Because instead of not talking about it, we should see how much God designed it for humanity's good. And so let me pray, and then we're going to get into uh, uh, God's Word. Um, if you want to know a little bit more about Hugh Hefner's legacy, I did want to mention the house that Hef, Hef built um, is an article on ABC by Melinda Tenkard Rice. It's very much while worth your read to get a reality check into how he's not great. Uh, so now let's, uh, let me pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we're, we're talking today about something that you, in your magnificent design, have gloriously given us. And yet, it's still very awkward for us to talk about. It's still very personal. It comes with pain and heartache and grief. And so we pray your spirit will transform our hearts and minds, that we'll never forget redemption, that there's always grace, and that we can trust in you always. All right. Now, last time you're going to hear a song from Ben Harper, but one more song in this series from Ben Harper. But it's not a song, actually. It's actually a song by Marvin Gaye. Uh, if you know this song now, some of you may know it because I've said his name. But listen to this song, and I want you to think about this question seriously. Is it a good, is it good sex, or is it bad sex? Is that good sex, or is that bad sex? Now, in the context of, we you know, in marriage, is it good sex or bad sex? Wonder what you think. No, it's ridiculous. Is there an element of truth to it? Well, I think as we go through today, we'll see there's actually, that song's kind of tapping into something that comes from God and His Word about the quality of sex and how good it is, but yet there is a fundamental flaw that we'll see in it. What we'll see, uh, what's interesting about that song too, is that Ben Harper, um, uh, uh, well, what we saw in that song, Ben Harper said, the guy who wrote that song with Marvin Gaye, he actually rang him up and said, uh, when we were writing that song, we actually thought, we need to write a song about how, how sex is healing. Love and sex is healing for people. We wrote it as a prayer. That sex becomes the thing you pray for healing for. was what that song, which has shaped our society, has really played in. How do we think about sex being good or sex being bad? It is everywhere. It sells everything. Beauty equals value. Pleasure is king. And the reality is, we're confronted with it. We think about it a lot. And we need to consider, how does God want us to think? We want to start and, rem and remind ourselves of our, our idea for this whole series as in sex and everything else, we want what God wants. 
That's our thing that we've been saying the whole series. We want what God wants and we're trying to align ourselves with that. And so let's get into thinking it through. If you've got the outline there, it's just got uh, good sex, bad sex and some points that you can fill in on that. You see, first of all, I want to say good sex is in marriage. The obvious from a Christian community. Um, If you're here today and you're thinking, uh, you're not a Christian, you're thinking, what is going on? What we're wanting to do is hear from God and it's great that you're here because you can get, okay, this is why Christians think this way that I always thought was weird. But fundamental is that God made it for a husband and a wife to enjoy in marriage. Look at... um, uh, well, the reading we had last week, Genesis chapter 2, in verse 24 and 25, we read, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. It's his design. It's to become one flesh. And we talked last week when we talked more broadly about marriage, that one flesh isn't just sex, it's more than that. But here we see it's the physical expression, the melding together, the profoundly deep uh, deep spiritual oneness that has a physical expression. God's plan is that sex brings two together in profound ways. The cementing of a one flesh union with our bodies. Gnosticism that bodies are useless. No, no, no. God's saying they're wonderful and actually you use them to cement what I've designed for you. That's how we're to see sex as bonding in this way. We can sometimes see sex as it's the thing that fixes marriage. It's the problem, the thing that you do when you've got a problem or, or sex um, is something that is something we don't want to talk about. And yet... God, right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, has said it's something that brings you together. It fosters intimacy. That's what sex does. It fosters intimacy. Whether it's in marriage or not, and whether you think it is that or not, whether you think it's just about two people enjoying themselves, there is still a denial of the fostering of intimacy and closeness. It does, in a way actually help the mind as that song says it is actually good for you but the world kind of says it's just two bodies banging up against each other because it feels good so it has to be seen if you want to get god's perspective that it's in marriage number one but secondly good sex is in marriage and it is faithful You see, sex was designed for physical desire of the marriage commitment. To only desire and honour each other. That's why this talk is kind of the part two of last week's talk on marriage where we really talked about faithfulness and how important it is. Marriage is not a disposable commodity. When we display faithfulness... We're reflecting God's faithfulness to us. While we were still sinners, as Romans said, Romans uh, says to us, Christ died for us. When we were his enemy, he demonstrates his own love for us in this. His faithfulness to us is far bigger and far better than 
a sexual union in marriage, and yet this is what we reflect. And it means, and here's a big one, faithfulness no matter how it's working out. Sometimes in marriages, it's not working well. More than likely, in most marriages, if not all marriages, at some point in your married life, sex is just hard and tough. The world says, well, it's time to move on. You should have tried before you buy and then you wouldn't be in this problem. But actually, if we see that marriage is at the heart about faithfulness, you resolve to commit to each other. Unfaithfulness driven by dissatisfaction is not okay. What if your spouse or your future spouse would... What if, what if they were in an accident and were physically unable to have sex? Well, they can't keep up their part of the bargain. I can't go any further. I have these desires and needs. I, that is where you get to express your sexuality by genuine faithfulness and restraint and other person love for your spouse who's in, uh, you're in a different place than you could imagine. There's some amazing stories of people who have done that. The world says faithfulness is one thing, but, but what if it's not, you're not compatible once you get married? Uh, when I first did this talk, and I haven't looked it up recently, but about eight years ago, 72% of people live in a try-before-you-buy experience relationship. 72! Now, that was an American stat too, but it just doesn't work that way. Because if you're thinking about sex in marriage where it's about fostering intimacy and faithfulness and there's no chance of uh, it, 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 you leaving compared to, oh, I'm going to shack up with you, we're going to have a good time, and if we perform well, let's keep doing it, because it's great. Which, while that may not be said, that's how they operate. We keep being told faithfulness is boring in society. I don't know if you've actually noticed in Hollywood movies how often the idea is the guys have said, you're about to marry her, do you realise that means only one person for the rest of your life? I think, yeah, that's good. If we understand that sex is far more than personal pleasure, it's far from boring. Faithfulness is at the heart of marriage and it's at the heart of sex. Thirdly, sex in marriage is faithful and so it is other person-centred. This is so important to get our head around. As you know, I do rabbit on about that idea of other person-centeredness. But sex is the ultimate physical expression of love. We love the way Jesus loves. That's why in Ephesians 5, that we, uh, that we looked at last week as well, we read in verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The context for marriage and for sex is not this authoritarian, um, I want to get this out of, out of you. It's 
this love and respect that we saw last week. It's the husband saying, my job isn't to be concerned about my needs. My job is to give my life and to love and to treasure in everything for the other person. And so that's the way you think about sex. We think about it in a far different way to the idea of sexual healing, which if you notice in that song, it was all about this is good, this is good, I need this, it's for me. It was selfish. While it's true, it was profoundly selfish. Sex, like marriage, is about the other person. The world flips out on verse 24 so often when it says that uh, that wives should submit to their husbands. And when it says husbands should give themselves to their wife, and this is just the dynamic for abuse, when actually what it's saying is, no, no, because your abuse is you're trying to get something out of it for you, whereas the dynamic in God's marriage relationship is that your, your concern is for the other person, not treating them horrendously for your sake. It's completely about the other person, which we see in the reading we have in 1 Corinthians 7. Marriage is to be about the other person. Sex is about the other person. When you think about sex, you think about it as love and respect. Devotion to the other person in your sex life, in a marriage relationship, is the resolution of a Christian couple. Devotion, commitment to it, to be concerned about the other person and, and, and who they are as they do that for you is the healthy relationship. And so fourthly, good sex is purposeful. We've seen it, I'm not going to go into it in detail, I just wanted to point out that as we've seen, it fosters intimacy. The idea of becoming one flesh, the idea of loving, the, the husband loving his wife as the church, the idea of of willingly seeing a husband who loves you and you embracing that is fostering profound relationship. And it's purposeful because God's instruction for humanity is to rule the world and multiply. It's purposeful for kids. Something that our society seems to want to ignore at the moment, right? Good sex should not be sold short that it's just about pleasure. We've just totally taken something that is far bigger and grander and gone, we'll just take a little morsel of it and blow that up into everything. That is what good sex is. Or some ideas on it anyway. But as we turn to the idea of bad sex, quite simply, I could just say, well, everything I've just said, it's the opposite. It's the one flesh union being ripped apart to bash up with another person who's not that first person and to continually do that over and over. It rejects God's design. It's not in marriage. There's no permanent commitment. It's only faithfulness while it's good. And therefore it means multiple persons are in, this, in your sexual relationships and so it can't be about the other person. If desires match my desires, well, then it may work. And it may work for a while. It may even work for your whole lifetime. 
we have to say that adultery sex, boyfriend and girlfriend sex, gay sex, teen sex, is bad sex. Because it can't be fostering a one-union-flesh relationship in a healthy, right way that God has designed for it. And it can't foster faithfulness. It's a rejection of God. Paul wrote about how, how humanity had rejected God's ways in all manner of ways. And he talks about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. And he highlights that <laughs> the people that he was talking to, there's all sorts of ways they've exchanged, God, exchanged God's design for their own desires. And so he says things like in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He talks about how they've seen this God's way, but they exchange that for their own. So verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. We kind of haven't changed as a society now uh, images. We don't have built uh, in the Western world uh, golden calf so much. We have statues, well, we have TV shows and magazines and all these sorts of images of sex is what we've exchanged. And it's, it's actually good for us to see God wants us to understand how clearly society and in the Christian community we need to own that all of us, our starting point is we've turned from him. And God's response is, verse 24 of chapter 1, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over, he says. If you want to do that, you do that, and it's your consequence. And so in verse 26, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. The Bible is not ambiguous when it comes to what bad sex is. Our society wants to say any sex that is not harmful, whatever that is, um, and is loving, whatever that is, is okay. God doesn't pick a group of people and their desires outright and say, you are despicable more than anyone else. His point is, I've made relationships for marriage and outside of that, and the physical expression of that in sex, whatever way you decide for that to be for you with your desires is not my plan and you need to turn back from that. That's helpful for us to see, as hard as it is too, because God has promised always, what we've said throughout this series and we'll always say, there is always restoration, there is always redemption, no sin is unforgivable, even when sex has great consequences for a society and a community, there is still restoration, there is still forgiveness. If there's anyone here who feels like their past or even their present means that God will never see them as one of his children, can I encourage you today to see that Jesus went to the cross to tell you the very opposite. 
including any sexual sin. But as we continue on, bad sex is prostitution. It's not just talking about money, it's sexual favours for the exchange of something else. God constantly calls his people prostitutes when they, in the Old Testament, when they turn from um, his covenant promises to idols and worshipping others and all sorts of things. It's kind of the way that he describes their abandoning him when it's sex for presents that maybe haven't been clearly said. It's sex so that you'll value me when it's sex, uh, you take me out to dinner and so now it's implied at the end of the night Take advantage of my body in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Teenage sex, quite honestly, is prostitution. Girls and guys who haven't been able to process what's going on, we've set them up in a way in which guys are wanting to get something and they figure out what they can do to get the girls to give what they want. And the porn industry is fostering that in their minds. We're reduced to a piece of bread to be consumed. Proverbs 6. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Why bring it up? Because we are so blind that's where our society has gone. That $3.9 million dollars The Mamma Mia website, which is a very, very popular Australian blog for women, spoke about it, and here's the opinions put into it. Make no mistake, the real winner here is Giselle. That was a note. This is a story that shouldn't be sensationalised, blah, blah, blah. This is a story we should cut through the crap on. Here's a woman willing to take advantage of a man so clearly caught up in his own misogynistic and misguided thoughts about female sexuality. That's true. He's willing to spend millions of dollars to see those thoughts uh, come to life. She cashed in on his backwards views. Good on her. She now has $3.9 million to her name, more than enough to set her up. Here's a woman who has, for the lack of better term, seen a gap in the market and ran with it. A woman who in the process has sought to redefine the conversation about virginity and every stereotype that has ever come with it. A woman who knows two things, business is business and sex is sex. In many ways, I don't, I don't really um, blame the girl at all. The society we live in just kind of says that makes sense when we think about it. But that editorial is an absolute disgrace. That we could just say sex is sex and we should embrace that. Men have this problem and so women should just take advantage of them no matter what cost it is to them. Because it's just sex, so it won't have any cost. Sex is sex. No, it's not. It's God's design for fostering beautiful relationships. Bad sex is profoundly selfish. That's why that song has so much element of truth in it. Sex is good for a marriage relationship. It does foster intimacy. When there's problems in the relationship, it is actually good to have sex together. That's why God's designed it for us. Uh, uh, Patricia Rarakoon, if you've heard of her, the the Christian sex therapist who's written some great books, she has pointed out a research that shows that's true. 
But bad sex is profoundly selfish when you make it out about getting what you need. I need it. I'm missing out. And it's really hard, though, when we're not married. It becomes a way of dealing with genuine heartfelt loneliness. And it's difficult if our life isn't working the way we plan. It's very easy to see someone else and think, God, why hasn't that worked out for me? That was your plan. and I'm... That's something that God wants you to wrestle and deal with to come to him, to rightly grieve something that you would long for. But not to abandon his way. You see, good sexuality is not just about in a marriage relationship having sex. All of us are sexual beings. That's the way God made us. And so it is just as much good sex to be faithful outside of marriage by not having sex. That brings great joy to God and that is fulfilling your humanness. Because fulfilling your humanness, unlike what the world says, is not about getting married and is not about sex. Jesus purposely and scandalously hung out with sinners and prostitutes so they could seek redemption. Jesus, the Lord of all, the perfect human, the God of all creation did not get married. Despite how in modern days society really wants him to be and have tried to convince us that he was, it was good enough for the King of Kings and the Lord of all and who was the perfect human, fully human. Can I encourage you, if you're struggling with this in your singleness, to continue to come back to the best human there ever was, who is God and Lord of all, and flee to him. And to remember, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, as Roman 8 says. Next week we'll talk about dating and singleness and we'll reflect on this more and hopefully can be helpful uh, for us in that. Well, I want to finish by just coming back to why sex is good. What does God want? He wants us to serve him, to enjoy sex and to have lots of it in marriage. If you are married, you need to work on sex in your relationship. It's good for you. It's what you should do. And you should be thinking about it not from the framework of what I need, but how can I love my spouse? Deuteronomy 24.5, I love this one. Uh, If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. When you get married, I dare you, um, I dare you to go to your boss, I'm out for a year, I'm going to have sex with my wife. I dare you to do that. Ultimate happiness now, ultimate happiness though is not actually the sex here, I think what's implied is kids just to clarify, but it's good. God is making it very clear in Deuteronomy. It's good for us. God's framework is for us not to think about sex as a list of do's and don'ts, but to have freedom in an other person-centered way, to talk mutually and work out with your spouse, to fight through the difficult times with sex, to understand that sometimes the best thing you can do for your relationship 
is to abstain. Sometimes the best thing you can do is love the other person, even when you're not up for it, and it's to work it out lovingly. Women, husbands love it when you desire them. Men, what wife doesn't love it when you show how much you love and care for them? And if you're not built that way and you find that hard, get over yourself and love your wife, all right? I tell myself that. I'm not the expert, but we need to. 1 Corinthians 7, that Daniel read for us, uh, has recently been used to show how abusive Christian idea of headship is. Uh, there's an article, Julie Baird, who's uh, uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald, constantly writes about how uh, Christian has view of the Bible completely destroys and is abusive. And uh, she, she uses a part of this verse, not the whole lot, interestingly, but let me read it to you. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Here's the bit that can seem controversial, but it's not really. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. Why is that not controversial? Well, what's Genesis 2 say that happens when you get married? You become what? One flesh. It's not controversial. It's not saying, oh, now I've got this property that I own. It's saying you've come together in this beautiful relationship that God has designed. And so your body is as much his as yours because you're one flesh. You're united together. And your thinking about sex is not, oh, you're my property now. I need, I need you to do this to me. It's, oh, I want to love you and you worry about me. See, when you think other person-wise and you see the one one flesh, this whole idea that this is an idea of abuse and authority is a disgrace. And when the, anyone uses that or any uh, Christian man uses a passage like this to say, my wife should give me more sex, once again, wake up to yourself and actually just love your wife. The Christian community, on the top of the outline I put, Christians do sex in public. You may be wondering why that's there. Um, it's because uh, one of my favourite uh, ethics uh, professors, he wrote some really interesting and sometimes crazy stuff, but he wrote, a, he wrote a, uh, an article called Christians Do Sex in Public. That's just a great name for, a, for an article to read, right? But his point was profound. Everything that happens in the privacy of the bedroom has a profound impact in the community publicly. In good sex... Marriage is fostered of relationships and harmony in the Christian community. And kids come into the community and it's a joy as we experience. That's because of good sex. Likewise, what happens in the privacy of a bedroom or someone else or a bedroom where a couple should not be, that also has profound impact on the community if there's children outside of marriage where... Christian community needs to wrestle with and figure out how we can love and grace and all those kind of things. That's a profound impact. What if there's adultery between two people within uh, two, two husbands and wives in a, in, a, in a church? Christians do sex in public and we need to own that. That's why we talk about this together and we ask God to be with us, that we don't want to be divided, that we want to be holy and sanctified in Him. Let me pray. I could say heaps more, but I'll stop there. What I want you to take away from today, as in the coming weeks we get really more practical, I want you to take away the framework of 
just coming to God and wherever you're at with Him, ask Him to help you embrace His beautifully good view of sex and to help you deal with it from wherever you're at in your life at the moment. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we uh, have a relationship with you first and foremost. Help us to deal with uh, your good design well because it's profoundly difficult in our society at the moment, as we'll see in coming weeks as well. It's profoundly difficult because we just are living in a sex-obsessed world. Help us, help us to turn to you in our genuine brokenness and flee to your redemption and help us to constantly come back. And like we saw in the reading of Song and Songs, you've written a whole book on how great a relationship is. Help us to embrace your good view of sex. Amen.